Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Okay, this is my last Sunday, so we've had five weeks talking about Acts of the Early Church, and next week we're going to have a little surprise for you. We're going to have different speakers in here all during the week, each week, each Sunday, telling, preaching, uh, teaching to you about their favorite character in the Bible. So I encourage you to come. That's going to be interesting to see who all is going to be here. I haven't heard yet. Okay, last week we ended our lesson as Philip had just encountered the eunuch in Ethiopia. The Ethiopian had received salvation was baptized, and Philip was supernaturally transported from where he was to the city of Azoda. And what did we say? As soon as his feet hit the ground, he began spreading the gospel. All right, so uh, then we talked about Saul, who was at the stoning of Stephen, and he began a campaign to persecute and destroy those of the way, those who believed in Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going to pick up today. So Saul's background in persecution of the Christians. So Saul relentlessly sought out the believers to arrest and persecute them. He had become an arch enemy of the Christians. He, convinced that, he was convinced that they were propagating a dangerous heresy. And he dedicated himself to the eradication of the new believers. After being an accessory in Stephen's death, he was armed with orders from the high priest, and he went towards Damascus. And as he was going, he was pulling men and women before magistrates, sending them to prison, and even worse. So I studied a little bit about Saul. His birthplace was Tarsus, which is the capital of Cilicia. It's a Roman province in Turkey. It's located a few miles from the coast. It was a commercial city of at least a half a million residents, a place where merchandise from many countries was traded and sold. Although he was of Roman birth, his parents were of Israel's lineage. They were from the tribe of Benjamin. So in those times, every youth was obligated to learn a trade so that if something happened during their life, they would have something to fall back on. So what did vocation did Saul learn? Tent making. So after he learned how to make tents, he was sent to Jerusalem to receive religious training, and he was instructed by one of the most notable teachers, Gamaliel. So after his education in Jerusalem was completed, there are no historical records to tell us Uh, where he went, but he most likely returned back home to Tarsus. So he wasn't around when Jesus was doing his ministry. He wasn't in that Jerusalem at that time. But when he came back to Jerusalem, it was he returned to Jerusalem about the same time the early church was being born. And what did he do? He he saw had no reason to doubt that his recent religious education was the only way to salvation through the law. And so he immediately began 
persecuting and speaking out against those of the way. But strangely, instead of bringing destruction to them, what did it cause? It caused the Holy Spirit within them to raise up. And instead of falling back and say, okay, you can, you win. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's uncomfortable. They rose up empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they said, how dare you come against my God? And they rose up full and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they got more fervent and more bold in their preaching and teaching. So instead of uh, destroying them, Saul became angry and frustrated. He was determined he was going to stamp out the, the gospel of Christ. So we know the story, how he, the, let me get this phrase right. So he went to uh, Saul's conversion on the Damascus Road. We've all heard this story. I studied a little bit about Damascus. I wanted to know what was going on, where it was at, and, you know, everything about it. So Damascus was a city that stood out as a gem in the desert. It was an uh, like an island of paradise. It was a legendary place where Cain murdered Abel. The area is watered by the Farfar and Abana rivers. And surrounding the city is an abundance of fertile vegetation. Even today, the area of Damascus is not a wilderness, but it's filled with gardens and fruit trees. Can you verify that? Yeah, she's been there. <laughs> All right, let's start with uh, Acts 9, verses 1 through 9. So then Saul, still breathing threats. Thank you, Billy. We appreciate you. Uh, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He asked for letters from him to, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that as he, was, he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So as he journeyed, verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither eating nor drinking. It is only when we are blind that we truly see. Doesn't the Bible tell us that over and over? So in his blindness, Saul now saw the tender, loving Christ that the others had been preaching about. He realized that he had been an arch enemy and persecutor of Jesus. 
So the fact that the Lord would come and reveal himself to this evil destroyer was beyond people's comprehension. And I'm sure it was beyond uh, Saul's comprehension. I'm so unworthy. Don't we do that? We still do that. Lord, I'm so unworthy of what you're calling me to. You know what? That's why he calls us. Because then there's no ounce of strength or no ounce of empowerment or intellect or knowledge that can enable us to step out in our own strength and our own confidence. We know it's only him. So that's why God uses us when we are completely humbled and knocked to our feet. Because then there's no other reason or explanation for what God is doing in his him. So... He was known for terrorizing believers throughout the countryside. He was hated and feared. His actions caused disciples and the people to, run, uh, to become chaos in the church, but it did not defeat them. And then we know the story of how Ananias, a leading disciple, knew all about Saul. He knew about how everyone was fearing that he might come and kill them. And he was concerned what would happen if Saul came to Damascus. So we're going to hear in Acts 9, 10 through 12. It says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him so that he might receive sight. So here we have Ananias, a disciple of Christ. He, was, he preached the gospel. He spread the good news of the Lord. The Lord comes to him, and he was astonished that the Lord spoke to him in a vision and told him to go to Saul, the very man that was coming to destroy them, to lay hands on him so that his sight might be restored. Would that be an easy task to do? How, and I, I asked myself the question, would I be willing to do that? I pray I would. So what did Ananias do? He was quite sure that the Lord told him to do what but he discussed his concerns. He started talking to the Lord. Lord, are you sure? I'm paraphrasing here. Lord, are you sure that's what you want me to do? Saul is the one coming to kill us. Are you sure he's the one? So I look, found a quote by Jim Hockaday. It says, when you know by the Spirit what to do, it doesn't take faith. It just takes action. However, when you don't know what to do, it takes faith to step out and trust God to give you the answer when it's time to know. The first part, when you have that faith, when you have that strong faith, it's easier to step out because you know what God told you to do. But when he doesn't tell you what to do and you have to step out towards that go, that's difficult. That's when you have to draw on that faith that God is who he says he is. He can do what he said he can do. And he will do what he said he, can do, he will do. So then we have to step out. And God sort we're going through that right now, I believe, here in CLG. 
we don't see that this vision is going to come to pass. With our eyes, we cannot see it. But we're stepping out by faith, believing God can do what he said he can do. Because my God cannot lie. And he is faithful to his promises. So we're stepping out by faith, believing God is going to do what he promised this house. And we're serving him. We're armoring up and we're studying the word. And we're each Sunday we're coming in being refreshed over and over by the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, one of these days, we're going to sit in this house and we're going to say, yes, Lord, this is what you are talking about. This is what you promised us. And we'll look around and we'll see a full house. And I know sometimes it's hard for us to see that because right now, it's not here, is it? But it is coming. God promised. He cannot lie. So here, the Lord overruled Ananias' concerns. And he told them that despite Saul's reputation, he had been chosen by God. So Ananias obediently went to the house where Saul was laying, laid his hands on him and prayed that he might be healed. Immediately the scales fell off of Saul's Saul's eyes and he was filled, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. He was received salvation. He arose and he was baptized. So we do not hear of Ananias again, but he was an obedient believer. And I believe I mentioned this a few weeks ago. We have to be obedient in what the Lord tells us to do. Because in this circumstance, if Ananias had not gone and prayed for Saul, what would have happened? He would have failed in his calling. Sure, God would have called somebody else to go forward and pray over Saul, but Ananias would have missed that blessing. So always be obedient to the Lord because we never know who is around us that God is going to use us to pray over, to receive their calling, to rise up from their pits and go forth in the mighty power of God. So Ananias, an obedient believer, was chosen by God to perform a most important service for Christianity. He was the first to greet Saul as a brother. And he was obedient to what God called him to do. Sure, he had questions and he had doubts, but he did it. And God was obedient to fulfill what the calling was for. So uh, Saul's commission. How did Saul receive his commission? He informs us that it was not by apostolic commission by any man, but he received it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord called him to come forward and he blinded him in order to see him. So he was a private believer. Ananias was a private believer who was sent to lay hands on Saul so that he might be healed of his blindness and receive the Holy Spirit and arise from his previous way of thinking into the light of Jesus Christ. So after this, Saul begins preaching Christ. Uh, Acts 9, 20 through 30. I, this is uh, a lot of verses, so for the sake of time, I'm going to skip through this and we're just going to talk about it. So these scriptures, uh, after Saul was healed, 
he went forward and he began to preach about Jesus Christ. Sorry, let me get back here. So, and he preached in the synagogues. And all the people that heard him were amazed. Here stood the same man that was coming to kill them, standing in front of them, talking about Jesus and the gospel of Christ. So they were amazed and they doubted. They, they were confused. So after many days were passed, the Jews that he formerly was a part of, that he would have been their leader to go forward to kill the, the believers in Christ, here they stood watching him preaching to the same her heretics that they were trying to kill. So then they plotted to kill Saul. So the disciples heard this, and of course they took him down through the wall and, and lowered him in a basket. And when Saul came to, to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. And of course they were afraid. They were confused. What is going on here? But God. But God. So... So after Saul regained his strength and was accepted by the brethren, he began to preach that Jesus was the Son of God. What a sensation he made. The local Jews who had been depending on Saul to come, out, come and dig out the obnoxious believers were now watching him preach Christ. The disciples, of course, couldn't believe that he stood there in their midst preaching. He was previously an arch enemy. So Saul had a new experience with Christ. The Holy Spirit of God was now in him. He no longer believed in the laws and regulations and the traditions of what they, he previously learned through Gamaliel. So the Jews tried to kill him, and they, the disciples lowered him down through the wall. So Saul was free to witness and share his experience and he was allowed to preach in Jerusalem. He began his preaching by debating in the Grecian synagogues. When I was thinking of this, I thought, Lord, you don't waste anything. Here was Saul, a well-educated man who knew everything about the Jewish laws and traditions. He was taught it from the moment he was birthed about what they, the Jewish laws and what they did and why they did it and what was the purpose, all the holidays, all the observances. He knew it, all of it. So now God called him with that knowledge and he stood a very intellectual man and he was able to go forth into those crowds preaching. And when somebody arose up against them, him, he had the power of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge that he had from his book learning. And he was able to debate and argue with them in a very smart way. So God never wastes anything that you do in learning, in your education. He takes all of it and uses it. So he uh, the reaction was swift and violent. The Jews saw that Saul's testimony was even more powerful than Stephen's. They wanted him eliminated at once. Paul learns of this conspiracy and he escapes being killed by his enemies. So Saul goes into 10 years of obscurity. We don't know what happened. But I, I know what I would be doing in those 10 years. 
I would be seeking the Lord, drawing from him, allowing him and his Holy Spirit to fill me up to overflowing, continuing to learn about the Lord, spending time in the word. And back then they had manuscripts, but I'm sure he spent time with the Lord. But he was in obscurity for 10 years. So during this time, Acts 9, 31, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they multiplied. So God fears who follow the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. It is the God-fearers that succeed with... And to me, a God-fearer is somebody that loves the Lord so much that I do not want to displease Him. And I'm going to do everything within my power to do what he's called me to do. And that means that I fear him so much, I don't want to make him unhappy. I don't want to make him cry. I don't want him to say, Linda, why did you do that? I didn't call you to do that. You have so much more that I want want to give you. So that is a God-fearer. You're so in love with him that you, can't, you don't want to displease him. That includes everything I say, everything I do, everything, everywhere I go, everything I watch, everything I observe. If it's wrong and I get a check in here, then you better believe I better turn around. Because if I don't, the enemy's going to take that little check that's right here. And he's going to use that against me. And how many have found that to be? Yeah, he comes and does it. So let's go on to Acts 9, 32 through 43. I'm not going to read this. It's, it's long. But this is the story of Aeneas and Dorcas healed at Lydda. So now we're going to jump to Peter. We haven't talked about him for a little while. So Peter, remember we said he went to Samaria. So after he visited the Samaritans, he visited many places. He went anywhere he heard a group of believers had started. During his travel, he came to the city of Lydda, which is located southeast of Tel Aviv and Ben-Gurion International Airport. And we've heard those lately in the news. So this is a paraphrase of the story. At Lydda, there was a man named Aeneas who was a paralytic. He had been bedridden for eight years. Peter spoke to Aeneas, Aeneas, and he said, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. In other words, the Greek tense indicates that the healing takes place when Peter speaks. For healing to be manifested... Aeneas had to get up by faith, believing. So the power is in the word of God that Peter spoke. Jesus Christ heals you, period. Aeneas believed, and he got up. So God was saying, Peter was saying, Jesus Christ heals you, period. There's nothing else. So Aeneas, what are you going to do with what I just said? So what did Aeneas do? 
he got up, picked up his mat, and he walked away healed. And after I studied this, I said, Lord, how many divine appointments do we miss because we're looking for more than a word from God? God is not going to step in and force you to get up. That choice is, it was Aeneas. So faith is stepping out, stepping up. It requires action. God speaks, we accept it and get up from our bondage. We get up from that thing that is crippling us and holding us down. Bob Yandy, and this is a quote by him, and he says, Believing is faith in action. It is taking the faith on the inside and putting it to action on the outside. So while Peter was in Lydda, messengers came from the city of Joppa with news of the death of Dorcas, who was also called Tabitha. Dorcas had a great reputation of a doer of good works among the poor. She was greatly admired and loved by the people. Peter agreed to go with the messengers. Another extraordinary miracle was about to happen. So once Peter arrived, the body of Dorcas, she's dead. They had already washed her, fulfilled the custom for Jewish purification. When Peter walked into the crowd... Weeping mourners were there doing it, the same thing they had done at Jairus' house when Christ healed. So he asked, what did he do? He asked the mourners to leave. And after I studied this, I always, when I study something, I ask the Lord to reveal to me. So as I read this, it challenged me as a Christian. I asked the Lord, show me what I can learn from this. First, we knew that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord told him it was the will, his will, for Dorcas to live. So Peter had that knowledge. God, you said she will live. He did not need more faith at that moment because God told him. So what he needed to do was act upon it. So he, he did not need more faith. He filled with the Spirit of God. Peter got up, went with the messengers to her home. When he arrived at the place where her body lay, weeping mourners hindered his way. Don't misunderstand me. When I studied this, weeping mourners, they're having compassion because their friend is dead. But these people, most of them were probably believers in the way. So when Peter got there, he had to move those people out of the way. How many times do we hinder the Spirit of God from moving in our life when just like the mourners, we are more moved by what we see and hear instead of what God says. So Peter went in there saying that she's going to live. But when we use our words to bring life and death, when we feed into death, it allows Satan more ammunition to cause us to, to doubt, to, uh, and it continues bringing attacks from Satan against us. So what did Peter have to do? He had to remove the doubters. 
the naysayers, the mourners, those wailing and saying negative words. She's dead. She's dead. She's dead. Peter's thinking in his mind, she's living. She's living. She's living. God has called her to life. So he removed the opposition. So when Satan comes against you and you start doubting his word, then you remove those words of opposition and you get out your word of God and you say, God, your word says that I shall live and not not die. Your word says, and you continue to call what God says because this word is powerful. It brings life and it brings death. When we speak words out of our mouth that are negative and doubting, frustration and fear, it goes into the atmosphere and it feeds what we're surrounded with. So that's what Peter did. He removed all of that and then he got into a position from which God could move. He prayed. So Peter then commanded Life to be restored to Dorcas's body. At Peter's command, Dorcas opened her eyes. He reached out, took her hand, helped her up, and then he presented her to all her amazed friends. Can you just see them? She was dead. She was dead. But God said she had life. I was reading uh, Smith Wigglesworth. Again, this week I finished a book I had on him. He talked about a missionary in Africa. This missionary in Africa had died. They laid him out and, you know, washed his body and laid him out, and they were mourning over him. About the same time he died in America, there was a woman in prayer on her knees, and she had no idea who this man was. But as she was praying, she saw him in Africa dead. And she sensed in her heart to pray for him. She started praying in tongues for this man she saw dead in Africa. And in Africa, as she was praying, the people were no longer in the room with him. He arose from the dead. He walked out, and they were shocked. Years later, this man and this woman happened to be at the same meeting together. And she recognized that he was the man she had prayed for. She went to him, said, do you keep a diary? He said, yes, I do. She said, what day did you die? And he was shocked. He told her exactly the date and the time that they pronounced him dead. She said, well, on that day, the Lord had me praying for you. So what happened? In that woman's heart, the Lord told her that that man was going to live. She did not doubt. She did not question. She began to pray. And God raised him from the dead. So God, the Holy Spirit of God, comes in, reveals the word of God to us from Jesus. And then it's our faith that we have to put into action to walk in obedience. So this miracle with Dorcas was a spiritual awakening throughout the entire region. Peter recognized that this was an hour hour of opportunity. He remained in the city, evangelized, and many new converts came to the Lord.
So I'm going to sort of paraphrase. We won't be able to finish, of course, all of Acts since it's such a large book. So salvation started coming to the Gentiles. Who's the Gentiles? We are. So the, the Jews uh, realized through Philip and the different disciples that salvation needed to cl- include the Gentiles. And so the gospel of the early church spread throughout all the region. And it was because they walked full of the Holy Spirit. So, let's see, I'm not going to get to able to talk about Cornelius or <laughs> let's just finish here. I encourage you to go back and read the book of Acts. Get that into your, your life. Um, I, I, I looked up and I wanted to find out how the disciples died. There was only one disciple in the Bible recorded as being put to death, and of course that was James in Acts 12 too. He was put to death by the sword, perhaps beheaded. Traditions have long been told of the deaths of the other apostles. It is thought that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome under the persecution of Herod. Matthew is said to have been martyred in Ethiopia by the sword. Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel, was said to have been killed by being flayed to death by a whip in Armenia. Andrew was recorded as traditionally being crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. He hung two days before dying, preaching until his last breath to all those who looked upon him. Thomas took the gospel to India and was put to death with a spear. James, the son of Alphaeus, was said to have been martyred in Egypt. Simon the Zealot is recorded to travel to Persia, which is modern Iran, where he was put to death either by crucifixion or hacked to death by sword. Thaddeus is recorded as traveling to Persia with Simon the Zealot. He was martyred as well. John was the only apostle recorded by Scripture as dying a natural death. Why is that? Because God had a purpose for him. He lived to a ripe old age. He wrote Revelation from the Isle of Patmos. Paul was beheaded by Nero during the persecution of the Christians following the fires in Rome, A.D. 64. Not one renounced their faith, offering further evidence that their eyewitness and the testimonies of the resurrection of Jesus was true. So they walked in the fullness of the resurrection by the power given it. They were equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So these men and women, um, these men and women are just like you and I. They had the same doubts, the same failings, the same insecurities, the same questions. They were not... Full, uh, not all of them were fully educated. They were just simple people like us who got up every day and cared for their family and their livestock and their, their life. They were just simple folks. But the Holy Spirit came forth, empowering them, equipping them, and transformed their lives. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for my life to be transformed. 
I don't want to keep on coming to church like a country club and getting my social fix and my high and then go out and go into the world and then have to come back the next week. That God meant for us to have more than that. And we know that. And remember, we talked about everywhere we go, when we step into a room, the atmosphere should change because we just walked into it because of who lives inside of us. So I encourage uh, every single one of us, and I'm pointing at me, remember whose you are. What he has done for you. Remember that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. The rest, the same power that raised from Jesus from the dead lives in us. So we're going to have to close. I'm over. (laughs) So let me close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come more alive and real in our lives, that we will recognize that he is part of the Trinity, Lord. He is a person, just like God the Father, Jesus the Son. The Holy Spirit is part of that Trinity, and he is a person. He thinks, and he feels, and he lives through us, but it's only by choice that he can live through us. We have to decide to choose to allow him to live through us. So, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will be our love to reach out in arms to hold, in arms, hands to help, and reach out into this community and this area to be a witness and a change to show others Christ. And, Father, right now you be in this, this service to come. Your Holy Spirit and power just fall into this house. And Lord, just renew and refresh us and equip us to become warriors for you. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.